Hey everybody, welcome back to the Field Cross Survival Podcast. I am George, and with me today is Hunter. Say hi, Hunter. Hey, what's going on, guys? Hey, by the way, we are sponsored, and we have a new sponsor. It's Aturo Tires, and you will find them at aturo.com slash fieldcraft. That's the landing site you're going to use. So, and I'll spell it out for you. It's A-T-T-U-R-O dot com slash fieldcraft. So when you buy four new Arturo Trailblade tires, you get a $75 uh, gift card to either Bass Pro Shops or Amazon. So all you have to do is go to Arturo Tire, I'm sorry, Arturo.com slash Fieldcraft, uh, buy four tires and get your free $75 gift card. And what they have in these interesting tires they have are called the Trailblade uh, lineup. They have six different ones, and today we're going to highlight the Boss, Trailblade Boss. Uh, some of the highlights it has is full three-ply sidewalls, solid patterns, center blocks, um, also an oversized tread blocks, and a wave channel sipes. If you don't know what sipes are, those are part of the, you know, they're in the thread blocks. They improve wet traction and mitigate the road thunder, or for at least a little is what they say. Yeah, they give it a little bit more surface area on the road there you when go. tires rolling. Yeah. So check them out. They you know they have a knife blade pattern on these new trail blade tires. There's six uh six times six types of tires what I was what I said. They have the boss, the MTS, the M slash T, the X slash T, the ATS, and the A slash T. So you got your all terrains, you got your mud tires, you got your extreme, you got your boss. Boss are the big ones, the big daddies. So Check them out at aturo.com slash fieldcraft. Buy four tires and you get a $75 gift card to either Bass Pro Shops or Amazon.com. Moving on, we have another sponsor is Killcliff. You can find them at killcliff.com. Hunter, what do you think about Killcliff? Have you been trying them out since you've been here? Yeah, I started trying them out and I, I tend to like them a lot. I used them last night during my workout. I used one of the recovers afterwards. Nice. And, uh, you know, it's got all the good vitamin and minerals in there to replenish oh, yeah. your body B after vitamins, electrolytes, no sugar. I mean, what more can you ask for? It's kind of the, the healthier kind of uh, energy drink. Yeah, it's a healthy you know. alternative to uh, some of the other energy drinks out there. I use them for my matches, too. You got long days out in the oh, sun yeah. shooting all day long. Oh, yeah. Got to keep I, that body replenished. I always I always promote the uh, hashtag Kill Cliff Challenge is where you just – you. you it's basically well, simple. What is the Kill Cliff Challenge? Kill Cliff Challenge is something I marketed, so don't try to take it. It's trademarked, pending. Uh, so what it is is you basically use all three of their drinks during a workout. Okay. So you try them all out. So you you know you do the ignite first. I think it has about 150 milligrams of caffeine. Okay. Get your heart rate. Get going that a going. Bit. You know. Yeah. Um, and then during the workout, you use their Endure, which is kind of like a electrolyte. It's not carbonated. Kind of like I don't know, like a it's like an intro workout, yeah, like, you, a, like a sports drink. It yeah. gets your electrolytes going, back up, get you through the workout, and then uh, once you're done, I, I I take a recover. It's either a, it's a recover or a recover CBD. Okay. So they have a variety of flavors. My favorite for the CBD is I mean I say it all the time. It's uh, the great grapeiest of all time, goat. So check them out at killcliff.com. We have a coupon code. It's survival one zero. Survival one zero saves you ten percent off. Next up is Casey Highlights. CaseyHighlights.com. Uh, what more can I say about Casey Highlights? They have lights for every occasion. Every, I mean, all the lumens. If you can mount it on a vehicle, 
Casey Highlights yeah. has it. Or you motorcycle. Motorcycles, or whatever type ATVs, of you got. Yeah. anything they have. They have light bars. They have rock lights. They have the round iconic lights. I have a couple on my uh, FJ, and hopefully I'll be getting some some more installed here Do in the future. you have uh, the smiley face covers on them? No, I have. It's like a grid okay, cover with yeah. Casey on it. But a little brush guard I thing. mean, look at Casey Lights. They've been around for 50 years. They're family-owned. They're a great company. We've been working for them for months now, and they've just been a, a good a good partner, a good just a yep. good company to work with. So we, we want to make sure that we get their information out. So CaseyHighlights.com, check them out. Use code FIELDCRAFT and save 10% on your purchase. 10%. And uh, just check them out. They're they're a good lighting company. If you need lights for anything, check them out. Next up, we have Triarch Systems. What more can I say about Triarch? I, they we, look so nice. Oh, we have their pistol. We have the Tri Eleven. Tri Eleven, yeah. And then uh, we have three of their carbines in the uh, in the arsenal. We have, a, I think, I have a fourteen point five, I think, and I yeah. think uh, Mike and Raul have the ten five with the law folder stocks. Great guns. I mean, I've put thousands of rounds through mine and you know i don't like saying you know i don't clean it but i don't clean it yeah and i've never had a jam not malfunction one time and, and i run it hard coming these from courses. a competition shooter man that just hurts my heart because <laughs> i like to keep my guns a lot cleaner than probably oh, the average yeah. person. it's it's the army ruined uh yeah. weapons cleaning for but me those triarchs one of my favorite guns from them is their uh 12.5 inch ar with a mid-length gas system damn and it is just it's one of the softest shooting yeah. ar uh, pistols or SBRs that I've shot, one of the shorter barrel ones. That extra gas in there, that extra gas in there just, uh, just you know, leaves your dot where you want it to be, and you get less felt recoil nice. on your platform. Yeah, there. I mean, it's it's a gun you buy once, absolutely, and that's it. You don't have to dick around with parts and pieces, and then this fails and that fails. You get one gun, you know where all the parts, everything came that's from, it. and it's assembled right there. Solid. It doesn't. It doesn't yeah. rattle. It, it's a solid rifle, solid pistols. Check them out. They also have custom Glocks. You can check out as well. But check them out at TriarchSystems.com. Use code Fieldcraft to save five percent on your entire build. Five percent's a lot when you're talking about uh, gun builds. But um, Hunter, you have a little course coming up in august your first course yep you and uh dylan right yep dylan vensky and and uh i'm my name's hunter constantine i'm one of the newest instructors here at fieldcraft and working with the team on some other regards as well um but yeah this is a, a new class for fieldcraft too not just one of one of yeah. my first classes what's the class called it's intro to practical shooting and when is that that's august 16th in tucson arizona oh yeah and what's the class cover like what do you so we're going to give everybody the basis they need to get started in competition shooting. Nice. Now, even if you're not involved with competition shooting or interested in it, it's going to help you become a better firearms handler. Mm -hmm. We're focusing just on firearm manipulation, um, and we're going to work to make you more proficient with your firearm, more efficient with it, and confident. Mm. Is this, is this, would this be a more of a – would this be good for like a, a kind of a – I wouldn't say newbie beginner, but would it be like a kind of is it intermediate or or can we bring a person that just starts that started shooting out? Like, what do you think? It's it's going to be tailored for all aspects of shooters. If you're a master class shooter and you want to make GM, mm -hmm. we can help you out. What's GM? GM is Grandmaster. That's the highest uh, classification you can shoot in USPSA, and uh, 
you know, there's different classifications for all different yeah. disciplines, but our main goal is to get you into that next class. So if you're C class, we'll get you into B class. If you're okay. A class, we'll get you to master. Nice. And if then, you're new and you have no idea, yeah, you'll understand how to shoot your So gun. you're going to go over, you know, you're, as long as you're going to go over fundamental safety, and but you're going to go over like how to get involved in a competition and you know, all yeah, the things how, you need. How you can sign up, uh, what you need, and then specifics of the competition too, moving with your gun, draws, nice. reloads, just... Anything involved with the manipulations, and mm -hmm. um, I've, I've taken classes from a handful of instructors, and I, you know, I always learn something, no matter what. You know, it, even I, I shoot at a very high level right now, and uh, you know, I still, I still learn stuff. I learn stuff from D class shooters when I go to matches. Yeah, they got a different mind, and yeah, there's a little nugget of information you can oh, learn yeah. from you everybody. Can learn from, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so, so you hey, always got to be listening. Yeah, so hey, check that out on the uh, fieldcrossrival.com under the training uh, section. It's what? When, when is it again? August sixteenth in Tucson, Arizona. Keep in mind, we only have ten spots total, and some of them have already sold. Yeah, so get, it's, get it's them limited. fast. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what, our classes have been selling out crazy, crazy. I mean, I've been getting. Uh, I think we're you know we're sold out mostly for September, like yeah. all the way till September. Yeah. So a couple spots here and there, but I mean, we're gonna have to start putting classes up. Further out in the yeah, future, man. We're gonna have to do like three. Yeah, or get more classes. Yeah, yeah. So hey, but check it out. Uh, this podcast, we have a special guest. His name is James Davenport. Kevin got to uh, uh, podcast with him when they were out at Sawmill last couple weeks ago, or no, probably about last week they were there. Um, but yeah, uh, James Davenport works for North American Rescue. He's a former Seventh Group guy. Um, he got blown up a couple times. He tells his story, and it's very interesting. Uh, James is a very very awesome guy, great stand-up guy. So enjoy the podcast. James, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being on. Thanks for having me. Yep. Um, so in, in true Mike Glover fashion, he just grabbed me like three minutes ago and said, hey, I need you to do this podcast. So he didn't give me a, a terribly great briefing on you, but he gave me the highlights, right? So um, former Special Forces medic, uh, wounded in combat several times. And uh, just from getting the 30-second the, the highlight version of your thing, I was like, wow, this, this is going to be a good podcast, right? Pretty interesting. Uh, not for you, because you're the one who got blown up, and, uh, but, but it's good to get that story out there. Well, uh, I, you know, I hear that a lot. People say, well, it hasn't, you know, it hasn't been really good for you, but, mm -hmm. it, you know, um, I've always been of the belief that it's the trying times in your life that teach you the most about life and yourself. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So uh, I'm definitely not the same person I was before, but I wouldn't want to be that person anymore. Okay. So, yeah. Hard, hard times build resilience, right? And, absolutely. And you really see what you're made of when you, when you go through tough times. So let's go back and talk about, uh, you know, where you grew up, young life, and then what were your influences to join the Army? Uh, what drove you towards a career in special operations? And, and just go ahead and tell your story. So <clears throat> I am the son of a 32-year-old, or 32-year uh, Army retired Sergeant Major from the 82nd. Uh, uh, at the end of it, um, was a, a Normandy Ranger. Um, so big shoes to fill. Mm -hmm. um, but... My dad, growing up, uh, felt that he had paid enough of a price. He wanted his kids to do something different. Mm -hmm. So uh, after high school, which was in the upstate of South Carolina, I went on to college, uh, 
got my undergrad degree in biology and chemistry, thought I wanted to be a trauma surgeon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still have days where I think I should have been a trauma surgeon, but um, worked in the upstate of South Carolina as a firefighter paramedic until 9-11, uh, watched the events in the fire station that morning, and the next morning I was in the recruiter's office talking about, you know, taking up arms against America's enemies. I've heard that story a lot. What, how old were you at that time? Oh, uh, 29. Okay. Did, did, growing up, did your dad tell you stories about the, the military, <clears throat> about any combat or anything like that? Or did he uh, kind of shield you from that piece? A little of both. Um, he wouldn't get into the details, yeah. but um, it's hard not to pick up on it. Um when you grow up the son of a Jewish guy. So like he was very proud of his service. Yeah. He just didn't want to burden me with the demons that he carried. Mm. And as a kid, I didn't really understand that. Um, as a 48 year old with an 18 year old daughter, I completely appreciated it. Yeah. Uh, does, I, I'm just interested because I'm, <laughs> I'm very similar. I have a 19 year old daughter, but does your daughter ask you about your career? Um, she has in the past, the fortunate part uh, about the community that we grew up in is uh, my daughter knows closely many of my former teammates. And so if she wants to know something about daddy, she doesn't ask daddy. Mm-hmm. She, she goes to get the source of the information from somebody that's not going to give her the pretty picture, yeah, but the yeah, whole picture sometimes. Yeah. Did you feel an obligation to shelter her from those stories in the same way your dad probably sheltered you? Um, no, uh, I certainly think it was different. You know, um, I was born in the early seventies. He was just about to get out of the service when I was born. So I I had no frame of reference for World War II, Mm -hmm. uh, or Korea or Vietnam as it were. Uh, whereas my daughter could see the effects of the war every day on the news because, far be it from the news to not print or publish KIAs and WIA numbers. So, coffins, right. yeah, every yeah, day. Yeah, it's absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Um, but they do it nonetheless. Um, would, would you want your daughter to go into the military? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, Why? Uh, she is... Uh, um, uh, several reasons. Uh, I don't think she has the temperament for it. Um... And much like myself, I think she wants to be a she wants to follow through with being a trauma surgeon. Mm-hmm. So she is. Uh, we'll see how far she gets, but that's the path that she's on right now. Okay. So cool. All right. So nine uh, eleven happens. You see the towers come down. You're a firefighter, and you, you think about all the firefighters who died in those towers at that point. And you're like, I, I got to go get 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 some. Uh, Retribution. Retribution. I was trying to think of a nice way to say it, but <laughs> retribution is the is the right word. Some payback. All right. Did any of uh, your colleagues go join at the same time? Uh, there were a few. Mm-hmm. Um, none of them enlisted in special operations that that I'm aware of. I when I left the fire department, I left on a leave of absence uh, because I ultimately enlisted as a National Guard SF 18 X-ray or initial enlistment uh, contract to be a, uh, an SF medic. Mm-hmm. Um, why I spe- knew why I would sp- be coming back to the civilian side at some point. I just didn't know when, yeah. uh, or at least I thought I knew then. 
uh, as luck would have it, I never did. Okay. Um, I quite frankly fell in love with SF and, um, she was my mistress for quite a few years <laughs> as, uh, my wife would tell it. Right. Yeah. Unfaithful mistress. Um, <laughs> unfaithful <what? laughs> indeed. Yeah. Why special operations? Um, well, a couple reasons, uh, aside from my dad having been, uh, a diamond ranger, um, and hearing the little bits about the men that he served with and them being a different caliber than the average infantryman uh, during World War II, there was, uh, I had done my own research, and if I was going to go to combat, I wanted to go with the guys who I stand the greatest chance of being able to help and then being able to help me and bring me home mm-hmm. if God wills it. Mm-hmm. But uh, why Green Berets? Why not Rangers oh, or SEALs? Or So that's an interesting question. Uh, my reaction after 9-11 was, well, I'll just go be a Ranger, you know. But uh, I had a couple friends that had spent time in the regiment and had gotten out. And, of course, there's the uh, stories about the E-4 Mafia and peeing on people's toothbrushes. And <laughs> at 29 years old, I just was not yeah. going to have it. Yeah. And that's a good um, point. Yeah. You know, yeah. if I was 24, 23, younger, yeah. um, I would have probably, my temperament would have been more amicable to it. But yeah. at 29, I was past the bullshit. Pretty good call. Probably yeah. a good call. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I agree. So you go in, you enlist 18 and extra. I didn't even know they had 18 extras back then. I know they had them years ago. Like Brian, who we just talked to, was an X-ray like 35 years ago. But then they they <laughs> they, they suspended the program for years and years and years. And I think they must have brought it back after 9/11. Uh, they did bring it back after 9/11, of course, uh, and it's still alive and strong today. Uh, in the National Guard, they called it a Rep 63 program. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what that means uh, for the National Guard, other than it's an initial entry contract. Just like if you were going to Ranger Regiment, it'd be an option 40. Yes. So, um, but the vast majority of National Guard SF soldiers that come to SF um, later in life, that's the way they come in is as a a Rep 63. Yeah. So you, you, did you pick 18 Delta or to give it to you? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. Uh, The recruiter I talked to thought it was a perfect fit. Uh, I love medicine, uh, always have, um, and have been damn good at it. Mm. Um, now, people and, don't understand. They think of a, a, a medic, <laughs> like a 68 whiskey or as an army right. medic. You're a medic. In SF, you're an 18 Delta. You're a medic. You're a shooter first. You're, a, you're an assaulter or a sniper oh, or a breacher yeah. first who just happens to be really, real well trained at patching holes and, and, and saving people's lives oh, yeah, after absolutely. the gunfight's over. Yeah. People um, don't understand that. They think medics, oh, no. medics do medical shit. Yeah. But yeah, you, you, you got the best thing you can do for a casualty is kill the fucker who's shooting at him. Right, absolutely. <laughs> Continue to fight. Yeah. We yep. can patch up the rest of it later. Yeah. Um, if you don't finish the fight, you just get more people dead. Exactly, yeah. And, and the medic on, on an ODA is the most vital guy. You can't leave the wire without uh, nope. a medic, and, and rightly so. Because, can't deploy without one. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that uh, cross-training all the other team members on medicine is very important, too, because you might get shot with the first round or blown no. up like you did. Yeah. I, no. <clears throat> it can't be overstated, the importance of cross-training. I was talking to Mike earlier today a little bit about uh, my philosophy about training law enforcement officers or public safety as a whole. And 
how on the team when you're doing cross training other sf guys are used to hearing medicine being talked about in the background but you don't have that in public safety as much uh and so a law enforcement officer could go a career and never truly understand you know what attention pneumothorax is other than there's a hole in somebody's chest and air is going in both directions mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so uh it's it being a doctor on a team or a doc on a team comes with a lot of responsibilities that most people don't understand yeah. and frankly the rest of soft i don't think gets either mm-hmm. um from places like ranger regiment where a ranger regiment medic gets to focus on being a medic mm. and a medic on an SF team does medicine when he's not doing one of the other yeah, 24 doing, yeah. tasks that <laughs> yeah. he has to do that yeah. day. Tasks uh, yeah, right. So coming in as a, as a 29 year old, obviously a lot of other x-rays are probably like 19, 20, right? And, oh, and yes. you're the old man in the group. I, I, I know this cause I was the same guy, right? <laughs> I came in the army at 29 as well. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't been in, in the Irish army. So, they would call me pops and basic training and all that. You know? Yeah, I got you, the same stuff. You did? Yeah, yeah it yeah. was. Uh, but it's hard for them to talk crap when you're crushing them. Crushing them in yeah, PT and yeah. they can't catch you when you've got a rock on your back. Yeah, and, yeah. 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 It, it's satisfying. Uh, so what did you think of selection? Did you, did you find it difficult coming in as a civilian or were you, were you just so fit that you crushed it? Um, I wouldn't say I was so fit. I crushed it. Uh, I was in the upper... 25% of my selection class. Yeah. Um, based on, you know, like I was one of those guys that would count the number of people that were there when you showed up from an event mm-hmm. to figure out where your class standing was. Yeah. Uh, having been a firefighter working as a member of a team wasn't going to cause me any problems, I felt. Uh, it was the unknown of how many other people could get ahead of me and push me down the scale. Mm-hmm. Uh I mean, we started selection with 435 guys, mm-hmm. um, and after 24 days, the uh, sergeant major um, walks out and starts calling, just calling off names. And as they're being called off, they're called off to the right, and I'm like, man, that this is an inverse proportion. That can't be the number of dudes that are getting selected. Yeah, this like, is, is that a selection. the good group right. or the bad group? Yeah. yeah. And... Uh, you know, after he got to the last name, he goes, all right. He goes, all you guys that are left, you made it, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm like, praise the Lord. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was a very, uh, it was a relief. Yeah. You know? But pe- people think, so, oh, I made it, but that's step no, one. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I talk to guys that are in the regiment now, seeing all the changes that are taking place, and there's this idea that uh, it seems to be pervasive these days that, once you're selected, like that was the only time that you get selected. And uh, I remember being told during the Q course and when I got to my first team in 20th group that I don't care what you did yesterday, it's what you can do today. Yeah. Like it is a constant state of selection. Mm-hmm. And, As it should be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the moment you stop carrying your weight is the moment you start picking up your stuff to yeah. carry it to someplace else. Yeah, I I, uh, I instructed on SUT, and, uh, like probably maybe even when you were there, because I was an instructor when Mike came through, and I, I, I see guys quit on the obstacle course, right? And you can, I used to drive me crazy because 
they did. I, I actually saw this one guy quit and he went out and, and some officers sat down and talked to him and he was such a quitter. He quit quitting and came back to trading. Right. Oh, that's and absolutely like, this ridiculous. This is unacceptable. Right. Because you can, you can deal with almost anything except a quitter. Now, right. you're, now you're a liability on the team. So you can't yeah. fix quitting. No. Like every time you do it, mm -hmm. it becomes easier to do it again. Yep. And if you'll quit on a selection course or on a, on an obstacle course in, uh, yeah, you'll quit in uh, combat. In North Carolina, you will absolutely quit when this crap hits the oscillating distribution device mm -hmm. in combat. Absolutely. At, there's yeah. no doubt about it. Yeah. So um, what did you think of the medic course? Having had some medical training <laughs> going through, was it what you hoped it would be, or was it difficult? Or It, it was a little of both, yeah. frankly. Uh, there was uh, two PAs in our class and a nurse, and none of the three of them made it out of med fundamentals really um i don't know what their stick was but they were not uh learning the way the cadre wanted them to learn they, they had they had a, a preconceived notion or they had bad habits or, or they were trying to overwrite those files that were already in their brain and they just couldn't do it you know? right I, I think it's a, a several things frankly but you hit on probably the most important one is that you get your brain programmed a certain way and some people just can't unprogram it mm. uh, or won't accept reprogramming yeah. maybe is a better way to put that. Yeah. Um, they think they know best, especially uh, I've run into this with, with nurses in the civilian side and in the military side. They know it all. You can't tell them anything unless you got MD after your name mm. uh, and a PA does not. But um and that kind of the same thing applies to those guys. You know, if you're a PA and you're going through SF medic training, there's a lot of the, at least the two guys that I had in my class, a lot of the, like I have an advanced degree and you're basically teaching people to become paramedics, which is a misnomer. But um, I just think people take it for granted, you know, mm -hmm. um, it was by far easier on me than a lot of my teammates. I mean, I finished college with a biology and a chemistry degree. Mm. So the body didn't pose as many challenges to, to me as it did some people trying to learn the nervous system. And, yeah. Because uh, yeah. if you can't, it's like a car. If you can't figure out what's the way it should run, you can't tell me when it's not running like it should. Yeah. And if you can't do that, then you can't fix it. Yeah. Was, so, your, was your dad still alive when, when you enlisted? Uh, no, he, uh, my father passed away in 96 as a result of uh, brain cancer from okay. Agent Orange exposure. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you go through the medic course, you do Robin Sage, you, you, you graduate the Q course. What language did it teach you? Je parle français. Oh, me too. I was going to say it in French, but I can't remember it. <laughs> yeah, let's learn French and go to Afghanistan uh, oh. and Iraq for years and years and years. So uh, that's funny. So my first trip was to Bogota, Colombia. So uh, yeah, yeah. It's, French isn't doing me any good down no, there. No, no, no. No. Um, so did you ever go back to Twenty Eight Group, or did you just? Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. um, it was. Uh, several deployments, uh, Afghanistan, Okay, Iraq. Let, let, Let's walk through it chronologically. So for people that don't know, there's five active duty groups in Special Forces, and there's two National Guard groups that go through all the same training, but they um, they have a civilian job and they drill like anybody else in the Guard. What people don't know, and I remember this distinctly, in after 
running all those uh, operations and dealing with people and all that in, in Afghanistan, 20th and 19th group were really good at that because a lot of them were cops. And it was like almost like it, it turned into like a police action where, where the rest of SF had no experience with that because the war was new. But I remember a right. lot of those guys were cops and did a really good job with it. Uh, <clears throat> the ones that eventually become 18 Foxes or Intel Sergeants in SF do great at that, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to to tasking individuals to go find information that's needed to prosecute a target. Um, it's second nature. Hmm. Uh, and you're right, there's a disproportionate maybe number of law enforcement officers that get into SF uh, or become law enforcement officers after being in guard SF. But uh, yeah, they, very few people know that 20th Group had the siege of Sodaf in Afghanistan in 02. Yeah. And that was the only siege of Sodaf that was run by a National Guard guy. Yeah, but it, that's the Combined Joint Special Operations Task that's, Force. Yeah. That's right. That's ev- um, running everything. Yeah. Running the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, what was your first deployment? Uh, Columbia? Uh, yeah, it was, well, it was actually to Via Vicencia, Columbia. And um, we were, our tasking there was looking for uh, the hostages that the FARC had taken from Dynacor, I think is the name of the contracting yep, company that had the contract to the, uh, eradicate um, all the poppy and that was growing rampant, I guess you could say, all over uh, Colombia. So a plane went down. They were doing recon flights looking for the fields to eradicate them and had a, an engine failure. A uh, plane went down. One of the guys died in the aircraft on the ground, and then the FARC took two others and kept them captive for five years, as it were, mm. uh, until they were host- uh, eventually rescued by the Israelis oh, um, okay. using a Red Cross helicopter as an assault aircraft. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I think C-37 hit a couple of targets looking for them, right? They, they were chasing yep. those guys down for, yeah, for a time. I remember that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oddly, uh, we had um, some, some C-37 guys bringing us chow, uh, as National Guard guys in the jungle looking f- on recce teams looking mm. uh, looking for the hostages, which was it, it kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, so, were you working with a partner force down there? Uh, the, yeah, we we got partnered. Um, my team got partnered with the uh, Lanceros, the Colombian version of the Ranger Regiment. A uh, bunch of solid guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. F- uh, being here in America, you take it for granted how dark it gets in the jungle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so many of the lessons that we learned in Vietnam fighting in the jungle, as a regiment, as an SF regiment, we completely failed to carry forward. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they bit us in the butt quite a few times. We're not good. And when I say we, I see the U.S. Army, and I'm retired, so maybe I should say that. But the military, from my point of view, is not good at lessons learned. We, we repeatedly make the same mistakes. We drive into the same ambush zones that the Russians drove into in Afghanistan. It drives me crazy, but I don't know how to fix it because um, you lose a lot of that subject matter expertise when guys like me and you move on and the younger guys come up and they don't have that experience and they got to learn all over right. again and we try to implement it into the q course and into some of the training but some stuff is lost it absolutely oh yeah 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 there's only so much so much of the world you can put into pine land <laughs> uh you know yeah. it it always looks like uh 
East, Western, uh, North Carolina, yeah. depending on which uh, yeah. which field team you're in. But um, yeah, conspicuously, it, it, it looks like North Carolina. Yeah. So how long was that deployment? How long was that deployment? Oh gosh, uh, that was eight months. Oh, eight months. Okay. Any yeah, any cra- crazy medical stuff that you have to oh. deal with in the jungle? I've never operated in the jungle, and I hope I never do. <laughs> oh, um, there was a lot of lessons, uh, like I said, that we had to relearn. Uh, one thing I was not prepared for was the mass amount of different bugs that you could possibly encounter. Yeah, I mean everything from. Uh, a flying thing that looked like a cross between a yellow jacket and a horsefly that would, if you took your hat off and sat it down, they would completely fill your hat. Uh, and then before you can put your boonie hat back on, that you got to shake them out of, mm-hmm. out of it to, uh, at night when you take your rucksack off, uh, you have to literally set it on like three mil black plastic to keep the um, uh, brain fart time. Uh the little bugs that eat wood. Oh, yeah. Like uh, termites? Termites. Yeah. Like, they would completely get in the kidney pad and everything around your rucksack and try to eat the sweat from yeah. your body uh, out of your, or get it back out of the material. Uh, but they would be all over the place. You know, mm. the Colombians used, they would hang up, string up 550 cord in the jungle and they'd hang all their equipment on it and then put foot powder on the ends and the bugs wouldn't cross the foot powder. Oh. Uh, but it took us a little bit to catch on to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there's nothing that moves in the jungle at night except for bugs. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, That's interesting, yeah. So you come back from that, you're still in 20 group? Yeah. Um, uh, worked at our version of, of SFALC, Special Force Advanced Fighting Combat, as mm-hmm. an instructor. Went to SODIC during that time. Uh, Jumpmaster. SODIC is sniper school? So, oh yes, mm-hmm. special operations target interdiction yeah. course. Um, a couple other intel-driven uh, courses, and then before I knew it, it was it was time to uh, take a trip to Iraq. Okay, what year are we talking about? Oh uh, nine ten. Okay, what you go to Baghdad? No, I was in uh, Mosul. Okay. Uh, yeah. Up in northern Iraq. Oh, um, I've been there. I spent nine months there. Oh, yeah. 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 How was that? Uh, it was 05, so it was oh, pretty bad. Yeah. Right. Oh, we. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was a hot little number uh, in oh, that yeah. time period. Yeah. Hundreds of IEDs oh, every yeah. day. Yeah. Snipers, a lot, a lot of stuff. So, um, were you guys working with a partner force in, in oh, Mosul? Uh, we we had the ERB, oh, I, uh, I, Emergency I, Response I, Battalion. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, the other name they called them was Mosul SWAT. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, it's kind of interesting when you have you know here in America we don't have a national police force, but in most of the rest of the world, not only do you have a military, but you also have a nationalized police force that don't work hand in hand in most places yeah, you know it's yeah. a fight over we, we me and mike trained the eru in baghdad and we were told they were the equivalent of the fbi hrt team they weren't not even close boy scouts but yeah it was so working with the iraqi counter-terrorist force was very professional intel was always great we work with these guys and the intel was hit or miss and we, we rolled up one target one night and you, you, you know, you breach a door, you go in and you look at the shock on people's faces. Oh, yeah. You're like, oh, this is the wrong target. And we got to the <laughs> end of it. It, to, it turned out he, the, guy who, the guy whose house it was 
had sold a car to the ERU commander that was a, a lemon. Yep, and right. And he wanted want to get some payback, he you know. Was, so th- this is this is a, yeah, this is a cultural thing, right? Oh, I'm like, good lord! But anyway, yeah, uh, it had probably surprised most of America to figure to find out how much of that actually goes on. Oh yeah, or just mad at the neighbor because of the dog or the yeah. music or. Mm-hmm. Didn't like the way he parked his car. Yeah, I mean, or, any number of things. Or they, they they hit a target, and then they're supposed to be looking for intel, and they're stealing all the money. And, no. and they, uh, yep. Oh, God, yep. man, yeah. Um, how long was that? that the um, six months. Okay. Yeah, how was it? It was good? Mm, it was a good trip. Um, we spent a lot of time uh, going house to house, doing, doing the CQB thing mm-hmm. that... A lot of people that were enlisting around that time thought that that's what SF was, was a DA-centric yeah. unit. And yeah. unfortunately, those people went to the wrong selection course, yeah. Um, yeah. My, by my, and large. Yeah, the last job I was in, my captain told me that. He gets these young kids to come in and they get, they get their team. They're like, where's my MP5 and my black SWAT gear? And that's not what we do here, brother, right. you know? Yeah. Um, because, like, in, in I was in Baghdad and... 06 and 07 and then in 08 we kind of pushed al-qaeda out of baghdad but they all moved to mosul so mosul was the hotbed in 08 and 09 and baghdad had calmed down relatively a a lot at that point right yeah it had um mosul was relatively what i would call relatively calm Mm -hmm. there weren't near as many ieds as in uh the couple years before uh the the uh, fobs weren't getting mm. attacked. You didn't see uh, insider work, uh, by and large. Um, so it was dying. To, as it was dying down, though, it became a banking hub for uh, for uh, Al Qaeda. Mm. So um, they just decided not to do operations where they're hiding their money. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I so, guess. Yeah. Um, plus the surge, the surge cleaned up a lot of that stuff too, you know? Uh, it did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny. I was listening to, a a, um, news guy talking about an insurgency here in America. Uh, and my mind immediately went back to the insurgency that we fought in Iraq. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the guy was pushing for, us as a military to do something about the in what he considered an insurgency here in america with all the riots and mm-hmm. so forth and of course i'm shaking my head i'm like you have no idea what you're asking for no, you don't. um yeah. that is a bloody yeah. bloody uh, way to do business yeah and and uh Every war since the uh, beginning of time, civilians pay the biggest price, right? I, I, it, it's you, you, there's no bystanders. You, you, you're going to, yeah. We're not, we're not going down that road. Hopefully. Um, so you do, you do uh, six months in Mosul. Uh, yeah. Was um, were you still in twenty group at that point? I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I so uh, I didn't make the move to seventh until twenty eleven. Um, the end of twenty eleven. With another trip to Iraq, in mm. the middle, um, yeah. in the middle there. Back to so Mos- Mosul back again. To, back. back to house number forty in Mosul. Really, same house. Yep. Wow, that's unusual. Yeah, that doesn't yeah. happen that much. Yeah. Um, we flip flopped with a with a fifth group team. Yeah. Uh, so it was a it, us 
a fifth group team. I'm sorry, it was us, uh, some guys from SEAL Team 2, I believe, uh, then fifth group, then us again, and then we did that one more time before mm-hmm. it was all said and done. And What civilian Obama. job did you have at that point? I didn't have one. That's the, that's the thing, you know, you mentioned earlier about uh, National Guard guys, you know, uh, or National Guard SF guys having being the one weekend a month kind of thing. And th- that's kind of pervasive across the military that National Guard SF kind of gets lobbed in or lumped into. Uh, but it's really, you can stay as busy as you want or not be as busy as you want. And become a weekend warrior, but you're not going to have a very good career as an yeah, SF Yeah, because guy you, you go to like you that. go to sniper school. That's nine weeks right there right. of being yeah. activated. Yeah, and a lot of the schools are very long. So, and you could probably go back to back to back schools. Oh yes, yeah. um, between that all the all the courses or classes that I wanted to go to, and then having to every two years go back to the schoolhouse to maintain my medical credentials. Mm. It was a it was a full-time job. I never, uh, I never returned to civilian work until after I retired. Okay. So, yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's that's people do that. It's quite a balancing act for have a full-time job and be be in the National Guard or the Reserve. Well, the the family pays the biggest price, you know. Mm. Unlike an active duty family where the family comes with during a PCS move. Uh, in the National Guard, the family stays where the family is and the soldier goes wherever he's going. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, outside of the the temporary or the TDY movements to go to a school, um, most of the, your time is spent away from your family. Yeah. I, I averaged from the time I enlisted till I retired, um, I averaged 11 weeks a year at home. With that's, my family, that's insane. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was active duty for twenty four years, and I, 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 I was gone a lot too, but I, I, not that much. My yeah, goodness. it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, looking back at it now, uh, I don't know how it was ever. I don't know how my family ever put up with it. Yeah, I'll just, yeah. I'll leave it at that. You know, other than uh, at the time, my wife knew that it was a job that needed to be done, and. Mm that I was going to be the guy to do it, mm-hmm. or at least my part in it. Uh, and every time I was at home, my entire uh, existence revolved around making sure that they knew they were loved mm. and be loved. Um, do, so, you feel, do you feel like you struck a good balance? or Absolutely not. Me neither. I, I, no. don't, I don't either. I, it, I, it is what it is. But yeah, yeah, you can't be an SF. If you're an SF guy and, and are spending the requisite time with your family, you're not spending the requisite time with the other family. Yeah, that's and, true. And uh, yeah. the vice versa or the inverse is proportionately true as well. Yeah, I don't know a lot of really solid guys <laughs> that strike a really good balance, you know, because we're so, anyway, yeah. Yeah, um, we could go down that rabbit hole for we, we, days. We, we it's, could. Uh, but it's, I think it's in, you just can't, you know, it's just not, uh, I'm talking in circles now, but, you can't do both well. I know there's guys that do it well, um, but there's there's always a price paid somewhere, or yeah. you have a very understanding family. Yeah. Um, I, I think it just becomes normal work, right, that you deploy every year and you come back and you go on all these training things, and, and kids are resilient, right, and they, they can't get used to that, that. But then when you get later on in life and, and you retire or you're near retiring, you look back and be like, good Lord, what was I doing, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, 
I think the closer, like you mentioned, the closer you get to retirement, the more time you realize that you've spent away from your family. Yeah, yeah. If you've kept it together. Now, if, you know, if you're a team guy that's gotten married, spent some time on the team, that landed in divorce, got married again, and just keeps that cycle going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because he can't be alone. Um, that's one thing. But, uh, you know, it takes marrying a strong woman mm-hmm. to make that work. Yeah. You know, they definitely can't be uh, codependent. Mm-hmm. Um, that would, mm. that's def- a non-starter. Yeah. That, that's the, uh, the trade a military spouse needs to have, right? She needs to run the show from start to finish all the bills, everything like that, because uh, you're not there. Right. As type A personalities, what we have a problem with coming back is like, we want to enter back into the family and us start running things again yeah. and let household six have a break, <laughs> but they get so used to running things. Us stepping back in is oftentimes more stressful than if we had just stayed gone a little while longer. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And they, um, they, I remember they used to warn us about that. Don't go back and try to take over or just, <laughs> just fall into, into the Don't show the up news. without calling first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 2011, did you go to, you go to Afghanistan? Uh, 2012. Okay. Um, was that, that was the next deployment? It, yes. Damn, how many deployments you got at this point? Uh, so combat, I had, um, if we include Columbia, uh, since that was the first combat operation uh, in 30 years, um, in Columbia for U.S. soldiers, that would be one, two, three, four. Four, four. deployments. And then uh, two to... Two to Africa, but they there's nothing. What country? You know, they were, uh, I was at the Soxi, our Special Operations Command in Djibouti mm-hmm. at Camp Lemonier. Both times? Yep, working okay. on the uh, EVAC platform uh, and plan for, for the continent. That okay. never works out the way you plan it. Okay. So 2012, you guys get a Afghan rotation. Yep. Good old Afghanistan. Oh, huh? my goodness. Um, <laughs> to a little hole halfway between Kandahar and Tarankal called Khajur or okay. Khajur as some uh, people call it. Yeah. Um, it was, that place is a mess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what province is that in? Can't remember. N- oh, it's not going to come to okay. me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 I was just wondering. Um, so you guys have a, were you, were you working VSO at the time? Yeah. yeah. So we had a, um, v- VSO, VSO is a, uh, village support operations. operations so and, this has been tried and tr- it's been Vietnam. Right. It was tried by the French in, in, in northern Vietnam, you know, and it always seems to end the same way. Right. Like we were Civilian reinvent the irregular wheel, defense you know. guard. And is it, what it, it looks called. like it looks like on paper it looks like a really good plan. We're going to take over the village and we're going to give the Taliban nowhere to go. We're going to put green berets in there with infantry uplift probably, and we're going to own that space. How did that go? Uh, so clearly you've been the Khajur. Um, yeah, it did not. The team we replaced had a blue on green incident. What, what uh, that is that? Completely, What's blue on green? Oh, sorry. Blue on green where your partner force uh, takes up arms against you. Yep. Uh, yep. They were having a, uh, a pre-mission briefing, and one of the guys picked up a PKM and... Uh, Killed three of the team guys, wounded another three. Mm-hmm. Uh, then uh, what was left of that team was mentally in no shape uh, 
yeah. to continue yeah, operations. They're, 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 were, those insider attacks were devastating oh, psychologically. Absolutely. Did you guys, without giving away TTPs or anything, did you guys train for those scenarios while you were doing a workup to go there? We did. You did, yeah. okay. Um, it's a very difficult thing to deal with because you can't be hand on your gun looking at everybody like they're the enemy because you're trying to build rapport, right? Right. And then because you'll crush rapport, you'll fail your mission, and you still might get shot in the back by some in scumbag, right? right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that, that I, I, I actually have never dealt firsthand with that, but I know guys who have, and it destroyed teams. Like, it, 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 uh, that, that survivor guilt for the, for the guys that are left. Yeah. We've tried to put our finger on as much as possible the cause or the to do a root analysis to figure mm -hmm. out is it something we're doing or is it inherent in the enemy uh, that they will find somebody that has a weakness to exploit like mm -hmm. a family member or like a ransom kind of piece um, the taking video games into theater is one of the items that when we did some root analysis uh, at at the group level of the incidents leading up to that deployment they all had in common was guys who go out to the range do training with their host nation guys and then lo and behold five six o'clock the two would go their separate ways and, yeah. then the, and then the team guys would do whatever they needed to do to decompress which is important mm -hmm. i'm not taking away from that but if you don't spend enough time with your partner force that you know when they've slipped one out and slipped another one in, like you have no chance mm. of being able to pick it apart, pick and that it, thing out. And it's not like uh, Green Berets are, are mistreating them or yelling at them. We're very, very well trained in building rapport and building relationships and, and, and working with an indigenous force and treating them as equals and being part Absolutely. of the team. We're very, very well, we're very good at that. And we're very well trained at that. So I've heard somebody say that before. Oh, they were, they were, they were mistreating them. They absolutely weren't. Yeah. Um, I've seen no, no evidence of that in yeah. any of the post analysis. Mm -hmm. So that, that was, oh, that's interesting. I've never heard that before. So they weren't, they weren't. So they were, were they're failing on the rapport thing, if they were going their separate ways, to a degree, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I think part of it is uh, just as a culture gets accepted, you know, like you don't want to spend 24 hours a day with them mm. uh, because then you have no time to decompress yeah. personally. Yeah. But the flip side of that, like there's a fine balance that needs to be uh, walked. Um, and um, oddly... Um, that rotation, I was the only team guy to receive a gift from the partner nation force. Mm. And it's because I, I spent, before I got blown up, that is, the second time, uh, which should not be the way you begin or end any conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, mm. But uh, I was the only one that spent after hours time, you know, uh, with with their version of what they would call an 18 Delta or a medic mm. ensuring that he could, you know, going over in the morning, helping them do sick call of their own guys and then doing training with them to ensure they could treat their own guys. And then at the end of the day, ensuring that they, that any questions were answered uh, before moving on to other, you know, intelligence gathering and dissemination uh, duties did, that I had. Did you guys look at any um, incidents where 
there was an insider attack planned and the 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 indige like either roll that guy up or give you a tip off or or, because i i've heard of that happening but i I don't know if you guys did any analysis on it we didn't do we didn't have any tools to analyze that other than anecdotal stories um from the uh that came out as a part of the aar when in formal investigation uh, was started yeah. uh, by yeah. either the SOTA for uh, Special Operations Task Force or the Siege of SOTA combined mm-hmm. Special Operations Task Force. Uh, I mean, clearly we treat those with a lot of scrutiny because we want to find the cause. Mm. But, you know, um, oftentimes, you know, when you don't have the guy to question about why he did what he did, yeah. it's yeah. it's hard to get to the root yeah. of it because you can't, Unlike here in the U.S. where you have cell phone records, you know where the guys lived, you start beginning building a line and block chart for all associations. Like you don't have yeah. a lot of those those tools mm-hmm. there that we would have here during the investigative process. Is it mostly guys who infiltrated into that unit or is it a guy who was turned by or is it just a mixture of it? It's a mixture of the okay. both of them, yeah. 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 Um, the more often than not, um, it's they've put somebody or they've replaced somebody one for one, mm. or they just add them at some point where a guy will go open the gate and let somebody come in. Yeah. Um, yeah. well, they obviously get help from right from inside the yeah. unit. Yeah. yeah you, is that the, the, the trip you got blown up on first? Uh, it is. Okay. It well, is. Tell me, tell me that story. Uh, which one? If you can remember <laughs> oh, the, the first time you got blown up. Let's talk about that one. So <clears throat> it's, um, this is a, a, a direct correlation to um, command not leaving it to the guys on the ground to make a decision when a dude should be taken out. And so what having mean, said what do you that, mean taken out? like, uh, you know, a guy is busy doing something mm-hmm. like digging up something oh i and, got you yep and when you ask for permission to play whack-a-mole you're told well how do you know he's not just a farmer and you're like it's one in the morning you know yeah. the sun isn't up he's you see, yeah it's driving me crazy and i gotta be careful but um the, the rules of engagement changed in afghanistan oh, they went yeah. up and down and up and down and and um was karzai the president back then i think he was and he's a drug addict and he, he did, yes was that the the, the, the little phase where you couldn't do raids at night and we're trying to put these, all these regulations yep. on pipe hitters and it just bullshit. Right. Yeah, and, I remember that. And then yeah. your white space or white space being the area around your village stability platform place where you live starts to shrink. Yep. And then they have more freedom of movement than you have and stuff never works out well for the no. team or any Americans thereafter. Mm-hmm. Uh, they plant IEDs where you can't see them. Um, set out ambushes. Yep. I mean, just a litany of. Uh, so, it that had been a a interesting rotation up to that. Uh, like I said, it started the team prior to us had a blue on green incident where some guys got killed. Some, uh, most of the team was either killed or or injured, and then there was a patchwork team that was put in place to just maintain the white space that they had, which they Mm -hmm. couldn't do. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, we fall in and it just immediately becomes uh, 
almost a daily occurrence where we're either in a gunfight or uh, something is getting blown up. There was a forklift outside of our front gate that we were gone out to pick up some bundles. It got blown up, step or driving over an IED, and then uh, and then I eventually uh, we were on our way to a village just north of uh, Kajer to talk to the local um, dude in charge, and we drove over uh, three 107 millimeter rocket rounds that mm-hmm. were command detonated uh as the guy watched us drive over it we were the fourth or the third or fourth vehicle in the column and it detonated just aft of the axle on matv um busted up the a post part of the the passenger front door and then i got ejected out that door and caught a piece of the undercarriage in the blast in my leg in my, in my back of my left knee as luck would have it in the uh in the aftermath of the injury or the incident uh, where were you sitting i was in a tc seat okay so mm-hmm. the driver's front seat or mm-hmm. passenger front seat mm-hmm. so uh um, we, we just keep building, we got we keep building bigger and bigger vehicles and oh, we just yeah. keep building then bigger and bigger ieds, IEDs. yeah yeah it doesn't matter how badass your vehicle is. If an IED flips it up in the air five times, you're still going to get fucked up. Right. Yeah. Uh, especially when you're not wearing your seatbelt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which special operations guys are notorious for not wearing their mm-hmm. harnesses because then you can't get out of the vehicle. Yeah. You're trapped in the vehicle if it turns over mm-hmm. in a wadi. I mean, seventh group lost three guys in 07, mm. 07 or 08. A vehicle rolled over in a wadi in Afghanistan, and, and three guys drowned in it. Mm. You know that's not a place that I want to be. It's a horrible way to oh, die. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, I can't. Yeah. That and burning to death. It's. But um, what do you remember so, from the blast, if anything? I, the whole thing. Oh really? Oh yeah. Because you always talk to yeah. people that are like, I don't even remember going on a mission that day. Oh yeah. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember that. Uh, got out of the vehicle. Um, we ended up killing the guy with a. Uh, a flechette round from a car Gustav. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, that's it turned into him into That's mist. a nasty yeah. way to die, but he deserved he, it. You're right. Yeah. He got exactly what he deserved. <laughs> and then um, I got evacuated because I had an eight-inch piece of steel sticking out my back leg. And um, the gunner in the truck uh, got evacuated because it shook his head up. That was like his fifth TBI, fifth uh that was his fifth IED that he yeah. was in a vehicle. Yeah. Um, had been a Marine prior during the Iraq invasion, and he was just all kinds of shook up. Um, mm. Sometimes it's just luck, so, right? It's just oh, yeah. the wrong place. There's no the rhyme or reason to it. Not. You can't. We, we, in 04, we drove over. Um, we were going in to do a village meetup, and we drove down this road, and we went in, and we stopped, and the elder came out, and he said, did you see that bomb on the road? And we're like, that road that we just... Turned? So we went back with EOD, and there was like 10 107 shells underneath the ground. And the battery box was a low ground that rained the night before. Uh, and it misfired. It. Yeah. You know, we were right on top of it and it misfired. So uh, look at the draw, man. Look yeah, at the draw. it is. Uh, the odd thing about that incident is uh, a couple weeks prior, the Siege of Soda had sent us one of those telescoping towers that have yeah, a day-night camera on it, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so we watched them that evening dig up three 107 rounds out of the ground. I wanted to drop a 120-millimeter mortar round on their head yeah, and got told no. 
uh, because we couldn't prove that they weren't farmers at Come one on. in the morning. Who farms on the road? Right. No, <laughs> well, that was, they were digging them up in a field. Oh, yeah. To, and then to place just, them? Right. Yeah. And then just so happens that next morning on our trip, we drove over them. Um, <laughs> digging, so dig, I, digging while Afghan is... Yeah, DW, you know, yeah, is it, dig is while it, Afghan. Yeah, That's yeah. funny. Uh -huh. <clears throat> that might be racist. It might um, be. I don't care. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Colin Kaepernick on that one? I know, right? Um, yeah, yeah, so I got evacuated to Terrencal. Were, were you doing any medic on the... On the I was. Oh, well, okay. that's my team sergeant had been an assault medic. Okay. Um for a number of years prior to taking on team sergeant duties. Mm -hmm. um, but you can't effectively be a senior medic and a team sergeant at the same time. No. You're, something's give, gonna give. Yeah. And you know, your job is to so, maneuver yeah. people and organize, yeah? Right. Um, so, so there's the there's the uh, the importance of cross-training, right? Because yeah, you're the medic now with a big piece of steel sticking out of your head. <clears throat> so, were, you were you telling people how to, no, how to treat you? I took care of that myself. You did? Um, yeah, there was not a whole lot. You know, that I couldn't do. Like, I walked on it. Mm. Um, I got evacuated on a side-by-side -side back to the VSP and then uh, called in Pedro, and they came and picked me up uh, and took me to TK. Uh, was, did you have a lot so, of pain, or, or did it not... The pain, did the pain not kick in? Or no, did you, did, it, it didn't hurt that bad. Did you give yourself some freaking candy for it? Nope. No? Really? Nope. Damn, nope I, not I that one. I take a knee on a pebble, and I oh, cry yeah. like a little girl, man. Yeah. Oh, that's... That's horrible. Damn, that's I'm horrible. not sure I admitted that. That's, uh, <laughs> um, it's, um, yeah, it, like it hurt, but it didn't hurt bad enough that I wanted to give up my firearm. Mm. You know, like mm -hmm. if that bird was going to go down on the way back to Terran Cow, like I mm. wanted to be able to take care of myself. Okay. So uh, I had uh, bandaged it a little bit and then just sucked it up for mm. the ride. Took them maybe 45 minutes to an hour to get to us because uh, there was a couple other troops in contact going on at the time and mm. some other people that needed help far worse than I did. Um, but uh, so I got back to, so I got to TK and uh, TK was being run by uh, NavSpec Warfare at the time. And Command Master Chief came in to see me, asked me how I was doing, if I needed anything. Uh, I told him that everything was, you know, good to go and uh, was waiting for the surgeon to be done with me, orthopedic surgeon to be done with me because my plan was to go down to the flight line, commandeer a helicopter and take my happy ass back to Kajar mm -hmm. where my team needed me. Mm. And <clears throat> a little did I know that Emil, CSM Emil Alvarez, the battalion uh, command sergeant major had called ahead and had told the good command master chief to be looking out for one James Davenport, mm -hmm. uh, Sergeant First Class One each, and uh, that I would probably try to escape mm -hmm. uh, custody, and I did uh, try. So uh, they let me go back to the, I got sent back to the soda fair at Camp Brown and Kandahar. Um, two days later, uh, after a couple bandage changes, because it left a pretty open um, gash in the back of my left knee, popliteal mm -hmm. area uh, that had to be packed every day. So you'd have to remove the wound packing from it or packing material and then pack more in, but not as tightly so that mm -hmm. it, so the wound begins to heal from the inside out. Okay. And then over time, 
you just put less material in it until you can't put any material in it at all. Okay. Was there any permanent damage to your knee, or did uh, you? Not from that. No. No. Okay. No. Yeah. Then again, I didn't get a chance to uh, figure that part out. Okay. Um, this is getting good. That's, yeah. Let's, let's yeah, keep so, going. <laughs> uh, the <laughs> it got good for somebody. I'm not uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah I'm like, I don't know yeah. if "good" is the right word. Yeah. Sorry. The uh, so. I stayed at the soda for a few days until the battalion surgeon um, took his eye off of me long enough to get a ring flight and back to Codger I went. Mm-hmm. Um, was back with the team for two days. We'd gotten RPG'd the night and had gone out to expose or dispose of some unexploded ordnance from RPGs. And I was uh, had turned to move down an alleyway from uh, to address some gunfire and took off in a dead sprint, had my uh, carbine in my hands, had the Mark 13 sniper rifle system on a set of rucksack straps that I would carry on my back and then I'd put my ruck or put my aid bag on over top of it mm. um, and you know deal with anything you know out to about 400 500 yards with the carbine and then, uh, if I had to bring the bolt gun out, it was it was going to be a bad day mm-hmm. for somebody for sure. Anyway, so I was in a dead sprint and stepped on the pressure plate on the near side. It the device was buried in the center of a drainage ditch that I had stepped over probably fifty or sixty times in my time at Kaiser mm-hmm. and had nothing happen. But that day, I just happened well, to literally step on the sweet spot well that that's a that's a ttp right you, you right. get ambushed and you have rings of ids around to position your in so you got nowhere to go you're going to run into something you know right um and, and <laughs> as bad as it is to drive over an id it's so much worse to step on oh my goodness the, yeah i was in i mean i was in a dead sprint yeah you know um a wh- white boy had wheels as yeah. uh my <laughs> Uh, daughter's boyfriend at the time would say, but um, picked me up, tossed me 20 or so feet. I landed, uh, sat up. I thought that an RPG motor had burned out and just mm-hmm. fallen in the alleyway at my feet, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is not uncommon. Mm-hmm. I, so <clears throat> I, I had no idea it was an improvised explosive device until after talking to my team sergeant. Uh, after so, he got to me. So. so you were fully aware of what was going on? Oh, yeah, I was did, completely aware. Do you remember, awake. like, flying through the air and all yep. that? Really? Yeah. Wow, that's I remember the man. feeling. I remember the thought of uh, where I mentioned about the RPG motor burning yeah. out. Like, that was my my initial thought was, huh, that feels like an RPG concussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it wasn't, no. When you, so, when, you, when you landed, did you go into medic mode or did you go into fight mode? Uh uh, actually, a little bit of both. Yeah. So the blast had blown a hole in the wall adjacent to where I was, and uh, we I was taking a couple rounds through that hole. Now, initially, like there was a whole bunch of ringing in my ears. Like I, I've never been one to wear to really like wearing peltors, mm-hmm. and so I had a little like lapel mic that had a one ear piece that went in one ear, and I kept an ear plug in the That's other. What I did too. Right? Yep. I, oh, I can't stand mm-hmm. peltors. Give me yeah. a headache. Um, and so, oh, I was, my ears were ringing mm-hmm. uh, horribly bad. Uh, looked down, I'm like, holy shit, I'm missing a leg. Uh, looked, just happened to look up, up over me, 
and happened to see part of it hanging in a tree over top of me. Really? Yeah. What, so from the knee it, down or from uh, above mid the knee? tibia? Oh, really? Uh, about mid lower middle of my lower leg down. Yeah. Uh, it is where it amputated it originally. Then, um, then you went into medic mode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it really wasn't bleeding, <clears throat> which followed everything that I had seen before then from from high heat IED injuries. Uh, the heat from the blast cauterizes a large portion of the arteries. The other ones vasoconstrict to uh, shunt blood flow, <coughs> and uh, but they will eventually turn loose and mm. ble- bleed out. So mm-hmm. uh, applied a tourniquet. You weren't shocked. Uh, nope. Really? I was in what shock do, that I got tri- blown it up and what do you twice that to? in two weeks. What do you attribute that to? Is that mindset? Is that the, the fact that you had a lot of combat time? Is it the fact that you're medically trained and you knew what to do, or is that just a personality thing that the way you grew up? Uh, I think it's a little of a lot of things. Yeah. Like I don't think that I can't point to absolutely one thing and say this is the exact reason. Mm. You know, um, I was talking to Mike earlier about um, coming up or coming into the military from a, having a father that had such a a career like mine had. Like I had big shoes to fill. And yeah. So while I was in the course, you know, like I'd constantly think about, you know, what's it going to be like when I get my first team, you know, am I going to be the old dude? Mm-hmm. Um, and and then, you know, it goes from that to, you know, how am I going to react the first time I get shot at um, or engage to then what, you know, after you get past that piece, then it's, well, I wonder what it's going to be like if I get wounded, you know, mm-hmm. and me... Maybe I'm a fatalist, but it was never an if. It was a when. Really? Uh, more than an if. Mm. And um, how, do, how do you deal with... Because I, I know how I dealt with it, and I know how Mike and, and some of the other guys I work with dealt with it. How do you deal with combat and the fact that every time you take a, you take a step in Afghanistan, you might die or get shot or rocket attack. Rocket attacks are worse, right? Cause you don't know right. where the fuck they're going to land. You know? You're like, all right, if it's got my name on it, it's got my name on it. But, um, how do you, how do you process that? Like, cause you, you hear different things from different people. You know, I just, I figure if it's my time, it's my time. I figure I'll never happen to me. Or you're like, it, it's not if it's when, right. So how do you deal with that? So, um, you know, everybody deals with it a little bit differently, but um, by and large, like, I felt that my beginning, and I still feel this way, that my life is predestined. You know, like, mm-hmm. um, I have some control over small things, but the large pieces, like, God has those in his hands, and, mm-hmm. and he knows the moment I was born when it would be the moment I die. And... If you're one of those people that have to walk around looking at the ground all the time, like you've not accepted, you're in the wrong job, first of all. Yep. Um, because it inhibits you from doing the job that you're there to do. Yeah. Right. You can't you function. Ha- no, you, mm-hmm. you can either take a round to the top of the head looking at your feet or possibly step on something while looking at the horizon, keeping uh, watch on uh, the horizon to ensure that nobody does something to harm team members mm. yeah i'm not i'm not a real religious guy but that, that was kind of my mindset too and and I, I learned it from somebody else that 
if it's your time, it's your time. Right. I, I, it, can't I, change I, it. Yeah, you can't change it, so you might as well get on with it and, and suck it up and move on, right? And right absolutely. I, I find it comforting because when you think that way, you're like, fuck it, I'm just going in this door or I'm going to do my job or I'm going to do it the best I can and I've had a good life and if it happens, it happens, you yeah. know? To me, it frees all your mental and emotional processes up to be put into other things. Yeah, you know? yeah. I can't um, imagine doing back-to-back-to-back-to-back Deployments to combat and being worried about dying every time. Yes. It must be emotionally yeah. draining. I don't know how that. people do. Like, I've met guys that, like, their letters to their spouses, that's what it was. It was a very fatalistic mm-hmm. outlook on, I know the next ID we drive over is going to be, it's going to have my name on it. What's the I, point in telling your no, spouse yeah. that, man? I, right. I, Especially anybody, with a spouse. Oh, my God. On. Yeah, she needs to think. I wouldn't that, even read them. She needs to think that you're playing video games and working out and eating good chow. Right. right. She doesn't need to know the details. Like all yeah. SF guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you have to categorize that stuff differently. I, I um, for me, it was almost like a manifest destiny. You know, uh, my when I die is predetermined, mm-hmm. and until that time comes, I'm gonna put my left foot in front of my right, mm-hmm. and you know, keep doing uh, what I know to be the right thing by the dudes I'm on a team with. See, they never they rely on me, and yeah, they never taught us any of that in the Q course. There was well, none of that. I don't know that that can be taught. I am, yeah, maybe not. Probably you know? not. Yeah, yeah. But they should be talking about mindset in some aspect, maybe, or, or maybe it's just that the the guys who go to SF or SEALs or Rangers are all are, are usually pretty strong guys, right? They're usually pretty strong mindset guys. Yeah, um, I think death people. Everybody looks at death a little different. Whether it's you looking at dying yourself, or whether it's from you watching other teammates die, or just people in general die, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, my wife used to say that, you know, I, I have the hardest time watching ASPCA commercials. Like I can fuck some people up yeah. and not give two shits Me about too. it, yeah. you know, yeah. especially here watching the news lately, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, I digress the, but I can't stand to watch people abuse animals or kids. Oh or yeah. Kids I will either. get all kinds yeah. of sideways. Yeah. yeah. And, um, but like that with combat, like people cat, people put that in boxes in their brain, hoping that they never have to open that box and deal mm. with what's in it. I've heard um, a medic, my medic on my team years ago told me that uh, PTSD hits people because the crazy part people don't understand. Like people go to Afghanistan, Iraq, and, and millions of people probably have served there, but ninety five percent of them never leave the wire. They sit right. at these big bases and they, <laughs> they do the same job they do in Fort Bragg or Fort Benning and they sit in air conditioning, right? But guys like us go out every night. I've heard that, and you would know with, with your medical background, but I've heard that PTSD hits those people because it's like a fear of the unknown. They've never been outside the wire, so the fear of the unknown. Is that true or is that BS? Uh, no, I think it is. You mm. know, uh, from my time in uh, Mosul, there was... There was always Kassam rockets getting fired mm. towards uh, Diamondback and Merez and the two the two bases there in Mosul. Yeah. And um, the Pogues, if you want to call them that, I'm sure somebody's being offended right now. Mm. Trigger warning. Uh, James is at it. Mm. Um, but 
like the only thing they have to look forward to is green beans coffee and the air raid siren. Yeah. Those are the only two constants in their life. Uh, <laughs> and health and welfare checks. Let's not forget those. Um, but, and then it's a mad race for the bunker, you know, yeah. whereas we would go hit targets in Mosul, come back, and on Friday night, it was it was steak and ribs night, and we would go, we'd eat and then climb up on the the buildings and watch Kassam rockets get fired at, at uh, our uh, FOB, and then, you know, play a drinking game to guess whether they're going to fall short, long, or, yeah. you know, a few times we had to run for the bunker. But, um, you know, by and large, it was, you know, all fun and games. Like, most people are like, oh, my God, y'all yeah. are some sick well, you just people. Get, you, you get used to it. You get, you get kind yep. of conditioned to it, you know. So you're laying there. Your leg is up in the tree. You put a tourniquet on, I assume. <laughs> Back to yeah. pre-scheduled I, I gotta programming hear the story, on the right? IED yeah, blast. Because yeah. you don't often talk to a guy who's like, yeah, I looked down or I looked up and my leg was in the tree. Yeah, uh, I'm kind of cavalier about it. People are like, oh, my God, how do you talk about, you know, that stuff? Yeah. I'm like, it's just, it's something that happened to me. It's healthy to talk about. Right. Yeah. Um, just like... You have a car accident and you, you know, messed up your car. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't look at my injury <clears throat> now. Yeah. Like, much different. I don't, I didn't look at it then a whole mm. lot differently. So, <clears throat> so I look up, I see, I'm like, holy crap, there's part of my leg. Uh, look back down. No, I'm like, yep, that is part of my leg because it's missing from where it should be. Mm. Scoot back, put a tourniquet on it. Uh, and then, I went to push myself back a little bit further, and I happened to notice there was a snail trail of blood from my perineum, or my taint. Uh, the blast, I was spread eagle over it when it went off, so the blast... Um, it takes the path of least resistance. Right? Yeah, yeah, and it went right up through my perineum. People don't my know taint. that, man. It's so, yeah. Well, you know, not to get off on another political hot button, but like, People haven't thought about that when it comes to females, right? Mm. Like, if you take a guy's reproductive ability, if I hadn't already have a daughter, it would have probably bothered me a little bit, but it wouldn't have been the end of my existence. Mm. And I'm like, well, that's uh, I get freebies. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, but that's a big deal to females. Yeah, yeah. You know, exactly. I never, uh, by and large. I never thought of that, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, oddly enough, the week prior, we'd gotten measured or the team had been measured for um, for blast boxers. But, you know, people ask me like, oh, well, don't you wish you'd have had them? I wouldn't have worn them. Really? Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, it's hard enough to get a freaking XF guy to wear his helmet, you know? <laughs> right. I, my helmet's a New York Yankees ball cap. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And that's why I got blown up because I didn't get to take it with me. Yeah. Uh, thank you, you, CSM Edwards. <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, so... My team sergeant, I could hear him. He was running down the high, uh, highway, down the uh, alleyway to me, uh, gets to me. You know, like, he looks down at me, and he's like, holy fuck. You know, I'm like, I'm like come on, man. That's not what I yeah. wanted to hear. That's not you what know? you wanted like, to hear. That's, yeah. Not, yeah. that's not reassuring, man. <laughs> he goes right to work. Um, you know, I had blown a six-inch hole, or the blast had blown a six-inch hole in my perineum. Um, and I was bleeding pretty heavily from it. He ended up putting 12 rolls of combat gauze in my perineum or in my taint, uh, which there's a study written on about it. Um, I guess I'm the, I've had more combat gauze packed in me in that one injury than like all others combined. Wow. Um, wow. But 
uh, and it's partially credited for saving my life. But uh, so he packs my pelvis real quick. I'm I pull out my narcs because I'd taken and put everybody's narcotics on the team in a vacuum sealed pouch, put their roster number on it so that after missions, just like all sensitive items, you can hold it up and be yep. like, hey, I got my stuff, Doc. Yeah. And uh, so I ate my two uh, fentanyl lollipops, put uh, 20 milligrams of morphine in the wrong leg. Oh, yeah, um, you put it in the bad leg? Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> On the distal end of the tourniquet. Um, <laughs> I'm like, why is this not working? I should feel nauseous by now. Um, and then, uh, you know, the only thing I was concerned with is it's my junk messed up. Mm -hmm. You know, like any guy. You do a functions check? Oh, man. I, like, I couldn't. <laughs> like, you know, after I noticed I was bleeding, I put my hand in my pants, and it felt like sticking my hand in a pot of warm spaghetti noodles covered in marinara sauce really I, I know i just ruined spaghetti for somebody out there <laughs> but that's that's what it felt like it was a it was warm and it all it was was mush mm. like there was no discernible tissue that freak you out uh, absolutely yeah Ooh. you want to you know like it it might not be big but it's mine <laughs> right like um and uh there's another one um <laughs> okay. but the and i'm like kurt you know, like, you got to tell me something. How am I doing? And he looks up at me and goes, is really? Is that what your concern is right now? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, as a matter of fact, it is. Mm. He goes, well, he goes, let me put your mind at ease. You're doing a lot better than I am. Two, I learned two things that day. One, Kurt is a damn good medic. Mm. Number two, he's also a damn liar. <laughs> um, so, but his point was he wanted me to calm down so that my heart rate was slow. I wasn't bleeding as much. So he could fix the problems that were the places that were bleeding that he was up to his wrist in uh, trying to get to. In and hindsight, he, if, if Kurt, who was a former 18 Delta, who was not a team sergeant, correct? Right. If he hadn't have been there, oh, could guys on the team have managed that? No, because you can only teach a guy so much, no. right? I'm an 18 Bravo, former 18 Bravo, right? So I, I can patch holes and put a tourniquet on, but that, that's about <laughs> the, the limit of my ability, yeah. right? You'd be like, damn, bro, uh, uh, this is going to suck. Yeah, I'd be like, I don't, you, you're, yeah, you're, I don't you're know if you're going to make it or not. You're proper fucked. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Can I get those P-Mags? <laughs> um, so, yeah, luckily he was that true. Yeah, and that's why, I mean, you, that's why you really do need two Deltas on every right. team, man. Yeah. Uh, he carried, Kurt was still, uh, to the day he retired, he kept up his 18 mm -hmm. Delta credentials over two years. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I think there are far too many medics in the regiment that didn't want to be medics to begin with. Yes. So they're more than willing to give up their aid bag. Oh, yeah, yeah. The ones that wanted to be medics, it, this has been my experience at least, the ones that wanted to be medics, you had to pry that thing out of their hands. Like, yeah. you know, they're mm -hmm. they're the company sergeant major that every time they go out in a vehicle, they have an aid bag, yeah. you know, in the vehicle with them. Yeah. You're like, yeah. hey, sergeant major, you got uh, three more medics in the car with you. I think you'll yeah. be all right. He's like, but, I don't care. Hey, yeah, yeah, right. Like, yeah. you never yeah. know when you're going to as the medic have to treat somebody. Yeah. And, exactly. um, but it is cross training can never, you can never do too much cross training. No, you can't. Um, yeah. and I tell guys that when I'm talking to, uh, law enforcement tactical teams that have a dedicated medic that doesn't necessarily, that's a non-tactical actor, mm -hmm. a non-shooter. Mm. Um, but you know, I tell them, you know, you need to learn medicine, not only for yourself, but for your buddy. But also in the event that the medic gets injured, mm. 
um, who's going to take care of that guy? Yeah. Right. And um, so it's funny cross training. Everybody wants to shoot guns. Everybody right. wants to blow shit up. Do CQB. You know, nobody wants to do combo training. Right. Two things people <laughs> don't want to do: radio wave propagation. Yeah. <laughs> and anything that has med yeah. attached to it. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um. So we uh, we get me partially patched up. About that time, one of the ANASF Afghan Special Forces guys gets to me wearing a pair of BVDs, uh, tidy whities and a pair of slip-in Adidas uh, shower shoes. I look up, and he is literally hanging over my head. I'm like, back up, dude. Mm-hmm. You know, they snatched me up, put me on the litter, put me on the back of a four or a six-wheeled uh, Polaris Were you guys still, Ranger. In, still in a gunfight? Uh, no, it had quelled. At that mm. point, because uh, they won't send a bird in sometimes oh, no. yeah. if, if if the gunfight's still going right. on, right? Yeah, because you make the make the situation worse. Um, yeah, especially we found that out in Mogadishu, didn't we? Mm-hmm. We um, sure did. So the uh, they got me inside of the VSP site or VSO site, uh, picked the litter up, set it on the ground, and then the the poor like E3 infantry guy that was a part of the uplift hops on the four wheeler or six wheeler to take off, puts it in reverse and backs two wheels up over me no. with me still laying on the litter. Oh yeah. Like it was just, uh, I'm like, Oh my God, what else can go wrong? Today? Yeah. Yeah. You know? I might have to fucking, yeah. <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah. Um, he's getting yelled at, you know, now he's under stress and he's like, Oh my God, I can't, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. how do I get it in gear and go forward? Mm-hmm. Um, but they eventually got it off of me and, uh, for about the next 30, 45 minutes, like I managed all right without pain meds. Mm. Um, but uh, like I had run the course of doing things to keep my mind off of the pain. Mm. I I realized that so at that time, my left leg is missing below the knee. I have a six inch hole in my perineum. My pelvis is busted up. Uh, both of my arms are bleeding from, from various soft tissue injuries in my forearms. And, uh, my dad team sergeant had removed my pants. Uh, so I'm like laying there in a cry combat top and no pants on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, my right leg was hanging on by soft tissue and soft tissue alone. Like it was, there wasn't much keeping it attached to me. Wow. Um, and for the next seven weeks, yeah, the, ne- the next eight weeks, uh, it was touch and go whether I would keep my right leg at all. They try um, to make you keep it, right? Where right. It gets to a point where it's just better to take it off. Right. With, with prosthetics have come so far in the last, you know, 10 years even. Says a guy walking around on I know. Legs. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I do know people who, right. who, no, who no, drag no, the I, stump around for a year oh, and yeah. eventually they're like, fuck it, take it off. Take and now, it they, off. now they crush everybody in PT, right? Right. So I, I don't mean to be. No, no. <laughs> yeah. I, I, didn't, I certainly didn't take it that way. Yeah. Um, the um yeah so seven so i get uh, eventually evacuated uh well yeah eventually got evacuated uh back to Tarankal, afghanistan to the same uh role one that where i was two weeks earlier wow same surgical team mm-hmm. um they roll me in i'm making jokes um the there was a lieutenant colonel, was an Air Force nurse anesthetist that was, she was pretty smoking. 
Um, and when I rolled in, she's like, she's like, Sergeant Davenport. She goes, you could just ask for my number, you know? <laughs> and I didn't have anything witty to say. I'm like, uh, <laughs> but, um, they're going through the, the normal stuff. Hey, Sergeant, what's, you know, first name, last four years social, date of birth, how much you weigh. And I, I said, well, I said, it's 2.35 this morning. I lift my left leg <laughs> off the table. I said, but you could probably call the square 185 now. <laughs> and about that time, the, the same SEAL Command Master Chief walks in and just breaks out and laughing about me joking about missing it. Like he goes, why is it that you're a Green Beret and not a Navy SEAL? Hmm. And I said, because I don't have good hair. <laughs> you know? Like, so, um, but uh, probably about 30 minutes later, they snowed me. They they rolled me between the ER and the OR in Tarrancow, which is nothing more than a, which is nothing more than a curtain hmm. that separates the OR from the ER. And uh, they paralyzed me and put a breathing tube down my neck or my throat. And then that was the last thing I remember for the next 11 days. You wake up, wake up in Germany or something? No, woke up in ICU at Walter Reed, Mm. uh, staring at the chaplain. Okay. That's not the person you want to see when you wake up. (laughs) No, nobody else in the room, just a chaplain. I'm like, Holy crap, I'm dying. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then it hit me. I'm like, wait a minute. If I'm in America, I must be alive, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as I woke up, some of my former teammates walked in. There was uh, nine dudes from my first uh, SF team that had made the trip to Walter Reed to see me. Uh, my wife was there. Um, Did they let you call her while you were still conscious? Usually, sometimes they try to do that. They try to get you on the phone so you can tell your wife that, hey, I got blown up, I'm okay, you know. (laughs) No, I left that to uh, my junior medic, uh, who was at the SODF at the time when I got blown up, and he called her on the phone. It was a Sunday morning, and he's like, hey, Tiff, this is uh, Brandon. She's like, hey, Brandon. She's like, uh, I want to let you know that James has been injured. She goes, yeah, mm-hmm. I just got off the phone with him like a couple days ago. Brandon's like, no, no. Again. No, he's been injured again. <laughs> she's like, what? Yeah. He's like, yeah, he's been injured again. And uh, she goes, well, maybe it's a scratch like the last time. He goes, no, it's not. Yeah. She, the only thing I can tell you is that he is definitely missing part of one leg, and but he's pretty messed up. Yeah. And, uh, of course, he gets off the phone with her immediately calls our former team sergeant, uh, tells him what the score is, and then my team sergeant packed a bat. It, his name is Deke Cruz, uh, Derek Cruz. He's still in 20th group. Um, packed a bag, got in a truck, and drove straight to the upstate of South Carolina to uh, take care of my family. Mm-hmm. So... Mm. Did um, uh, did the regiment reach out and, and they have it pretty down? I oh mean, it was rough goodness. in the early days, but yeah. they they have it pretty down pat now with, with dealing with families and and all that. You know, uh, casual notification officers and helping the family through all this, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there was a SOCOM had an office at Walter Reed. It was a couple e6s and a master sergeant at the time i think uh it eventually transitioned into a sergeant major position but like they were johnny on the spot like i was awake 
like it probably wasn't 30 minutes and they were standing in the room talking to me about what the process was going to look like. You know, of course I'm trying to figure out why I can't move my left leg because mm-hmm. when I went to sleep, I had a knee. Mm-hmm. And when I woke up, I didn't have a knee. Did you have that phantom pin where you can Oh, yeah, feed? I yeah. still have. Oh, yeah, do you really? Yeah, yeah. yeah I still have uh, phantom pain. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, I would spend the next seven weeks going to the OR every other day. And the only, that was the only relief. That was the only time that I got out of the hospital bed mm. was for them to move me from the hospital bed onto the OR table and back to the hospital bed. Like They washed me. Uh, I took a bath in the OR. Like that was it. Mm. Like I, I was uh, completely covered with a trash bag from my nipple line down uh, on wound vax, bunch of tubes. I didn't see my daughter for seven weeks because I did not want yeah. the in the event that something were to happen to me. I did not want her last memory of her father to be me lying prostrate in the bed yeah. with a bunch of tubes sticking out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the day that I started walking again, she was at. Um, she was at Walter Reed to watch me walk. Mm. And how how long was that a uh, point to, to reteach yourself how to walk? I, um, I imagine that was a very difficult we, process. Uh, it takes a little bit, you know. Yeah. Like you, you take it for granted that you can walk. Yeah, like it's you know natural, yeah. just one foot in front of the other. No, it don't work that way. Mm. You know, when you're missing part of it, and part of it has to come from a battery pack, mm. uh, it takes a little bit more than just putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah, but uh, I took to it pretty naturally, um, and uh, it it really the worst part was the pain associated with uh, bearing weight on the end of my stump. You know, where the amputation was finished, uh, they virtually just removed the two lower bones from my leg. And so I had the full length of my femur uh, and no kneecap. So when I'm wearing a prosthetic, the end of my femur touches the inside of the socket the same way it would touch the other end of my tibia and fibula if I still had those two bones. Mm. Um, And it took a little time for this tissue to mature where it could bear weight. But after that, I was, I started, got blown up on 28th of October, started walking on the 20th of December. And, uh, by mid March of the next year, I was running and ran, um, did the tunnel to tower run the following, that following year. Mm -hmm. And then the army 10 miler that year. Mm. Um, yeah. That's, incre- that's, that's pretty incredible. I always hated running. <laughs> hated it, I'm telling yeah. you. Hated it, hated it, hated it. Yeah. And the only thing I wanted to do after I lost my leg was prove to myself that I could run. So obviously you're a very resilient guy, right? Strong mind. I imagine that you were surrounded by people. Stubborn, I think is Stubborn. the right word. Stubborn, okay. That's okay. <laughs> um, I imagine you were surrounded by other amputees at Walter Reed. Did you see some of them? go internal, go into depression because of, of what they'd suffered? Or did you see mostly resilience and I'm going to beat this shit and it's not going to fucking take me down? Uh, there's a there's a lot of both, mm. quite frankly. Um, the When I was at Walter Reed, there were three quad amputees at Walter Reed at the same time. Three, There's either five or six that have survived their injuries mm. and three of them were at Walter Reed at the same time. Wow. Um, 
Two of them were right down the hallway from me uh, and became really close friends um, with one of them. Uh, Travis Mills of the Travis Mills Foundation was a young E6 and 82nd. Stepped on ID, lost all four limbs uh, in various at various spots, but um, runs a foundation up in Maine. Like it, uh, I would hope that if I were in his position, that I would survive it the way life, the way he has attacked life mm. after, in the aftermath of his injuries. Um, I can't imagine never like being able to touch my daughter, hold her in my arms. Uh, all that stuff ever again, but yeah, it's horrible. Uh, but it at least takes, he can see her and right, see her grow up, right. right? So absolutely, yeah. They've not skipped a beat. I, I don't skip a beat. You know, uh, I don't run as much as I did initially because my pelvis is held together with bailing wire and duct tape. Yeah, um, some cables, a few springs. Like it literally is, um, not. Not really well, mm -hmm. um, but you know I make do and um, I put up with the pain and just move forward. Any so, any uh, any mental repercussions like nightmares or nope? You don't get you don't get um, like you hear like explosions. You don't get shook basically in your in your you know. Um, okay, good no, for you. Nothing. No, I, nothing. Nothing. I. Um, I still do a lot of work with my local SWAT team. Mm. Um, and so I'll go out to the, uh, to the breaching range and we'll set charges and talk about mm. emergency procedures at the blast point and set off charges. And it doesn't, I don't skip a beat listening yeah. to fireworks. I don't I'm certainly not judging people that do have those problems, but I, I don't know what those are like, yeah. you know, like it's just another day to me. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, that that's <laughs> oh know, i'm that, so thankful that's quite a story yeah um so how long again before you were you're running it's like six months uh from the time of injury yeah, yeah. wow that's very that yeah. seems very very fast yeah, yeah. ran yeah. a 1435 two mile from my retirement pt test mm. on one and a half legs of course i was taking it with some uh, fully capable people that were getting out of the service because they had post-traumatic stress from mm -hmm. non-existent injuries. Uh, and one of them told me that it wasn't fair that I had a spring on the end of my leg that I was cheating. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wow. wow. Yeah, you get a special leg That's for a, running, right? <laughs> right, yeah. 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 How many how many legs in prosthetics do you get? Uh, it, it isn't a specific number. Like, I had one for... Um, I have one for water sports, like... Um, and I use the same one for my shower leg, <clears throat> excuse me. And then, um, I have a, a daily walking leg. Um, I, what I consider my tactical leg is a little more robust. Mm. Um, and then, uh, that I use when I'm doing like SWAT training or medical training around NAR. Um, and then. Let's see. I have two running legs, one for sprinting and one for long distance. A biking leg mm -hmm. for mountain biking. Um, I think that's about it. Okay. I'm sure I missed something. Swimming? But yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a water sport leg. It okay, just, yeah, yeah. It locks 
the knee locks, so there's no whipping motion at the knee yeah. like you would have in a normal leg. But um, I'll get over it, you know. Any, any, uh, it seems like a oh, stupid question. Weightlifting. Weightlifting. Like. That was the other the oh, one I lifted. Okay. Yeah, like yeah. I have one that I can, uh, the ankle will bend forward, plantar flex, that will allow me to do squats. Okay. So. Yeah. So it seems like a stupid question, but uh, regrets, right? Because you, 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 some guys, and I think you're probably one of those, um, having gone through that trauma and, and it, it probably taught you a lot about yourself, right? About your capabilities. And obviously if you go back and change it, you would, right? But, um, do, do you look at it as a, as a educational experience? Do you look at it like, um, I, I mean, how do you look at it now? Uh, looking oh, back at it? Um, goodness. Uh, It depends on the day, really. Like, I am forever thankful for the days that I, I still have left on the planet. Mm. Um, and having watched quite a few guys succumb to far less injuries, far less severe injuries, uh, I can't help but be thankful to be alive. Mm. Um, with that said, I, I fully believe I'm still here on this planet for a purpose. And, uh, until I figure out exactly what that is, I'm just going to continue to bounce around and, and teach and educate people about the, you know, the importance of good training and preparedness, mental preparedness, mm -hmm. um, for what's ahead, uh, as well as preparing, you know, your family for the event that, um, you may one day be injured, you mm -hmm. know, um, do, you, do you find teaching therapeutic, like oh, giving back? Yep. Yeah. 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 A lot, I, of, a lot of guys are like Especially that. when I'm teaching like wound packing, tourniquet application. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, I get asked all the time about how often, about how much time I spent applying tourniquets to myself training. And I can't imagine, or I can't looking back, pinpoint a time where I've ever applied a tourniquet to myself other than when Ooh. I initially learned <laughs> to use a cat tourniquet. Right. Yeah. But, um, I had spent so much time putting them on other people, applying it to yourself at that point is, yeah. you know, just another day at, at the yeah. office. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I don't know that anybody can ever be ready for that incident, mm -hmm. uh, for something that comes so close to taking your life. Um, so, but, so I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, but, uh, ensuring that you're like, if you're one of those people that engage in dangerous activities, uh, on the tactical side of things, whether it's in the military or in public safety, like you need to prepare your family. In mm -hmm. the event that something were to happen. Yeah. And you need to ensure that you have put everything in place in the event that, you know, you die and uh, you want things to happen a certain way. Because mm. uh, if you don't, they may not happen the way you think they will. Mm. Uh, so you, you so. work for North American Rescue now? I do. Yep. What, what do you teach for them? Uh, no, I work in public safety sales. Okay. Uh, but I do a lot of teaching. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, what, 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 what's public safety sales? So the business model is broken into three big pieces. The Department of Defense sales, international sales, uh, which is anything international, whether it's military or public safety, and then there's domestic public safety. Mm-hmm. And then the public safety piece is broken into law enforcement, fire EMS, mm-hmm. you know, tactical EMS kind of stuff. So That's awesome. Yeah. I, um, I know Mike talked to you about teaching some courses for us, for, for some medical courses. So um, I'm going to sign up for them myself because you got a wealth of knowledge and you're obviously, a re- <laughs> you're really, and you've been there, done that to yourself. Right? Yeah. People always want the stories, you know. Yeah, like, uh, I know. I teach for the University of Alabama Medical Center in Birmingham. Yeah. Uh, and a few other people and I'll get a class full of folks and there's nothing worse than signing up for like a tactical medic class and somebody just want to read statistics to you. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. absolutely a waste of time. Yeah. But, uh, you get to telling stories and people, you know, like they lean forward in their seat. Yeah. Um, and then you're like, Oh, you're just listening to the stories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's an application at the end of this story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you need to be prepared for that. Cool. Well, you got, you got quite a story, man. You're, you're obviously a strong guy and uh, an inspiration to a lot of people. So thank you for your service and thanks for what you did yeah. for this country and you sacrificed and uh, really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, there's, I was just doing what God built me for. Cool. So, all right. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Okay.